bless this time in the study of your word. And, and Lord, um, we're thankful that we can have resources in the bookstore that are blessing and um, in Bibles. And your word is, is so precious. It's more valuable than any gold or silver and um, sweeter than a honeycomb, as the sweet psalmist David would write. And Lord, I pray that tonight as we go over a section of scripture that isn't talked about a lot or maybe perhaps uh, read a lot by Christians, but there is more than just an historical account here. There is a biblical application and spiritual application for us to make. And so, Lord, I pray that right now we would be attentive as we come in, of course, at the end of the day. Maybe some of us are just coming from work and we haven't had a chance to even eat. And uh, I just pray that right now we would feed upon your word and that we would uh, be attentive. And Lord, you bless this time in the study of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So at this time in our study, as you go through First and Second Kings, of course, it's the historical count of the nation after the reign of David. David, when he would die, he left the nation very strong uh, militarily. He had defeated all his enemies all around him. We know that he left the nation very prosperous as well. And so David, as he would uh, go home to be, uh, you know, with the Lord, and as he would uh, die, we know that his son Solomon would uh, then be the king. And Solomon would rule during that time of Israel's greatest prosperity and greatest power. And because the nation had uh, defeated all uh, her enemies all around her, it was Solomon that was able to raise up a great workforce to build the temple. And we read about that as we were in 1 Kings chapter 6. And in the chapter 7, we saw the prayer of dedication of the temple. And at that time, as you read it, we see that the glory of the Lord was so, uh, so strong and, and, and the presence of the Lord um, was so tangible that it was the priest that had to stop ministry. And it had a great feast, and it says that all the people went home with great gladness and joy in their hearts. And the blessing of God during that time, because they were ones that were following after the Lord, they were loving the Lord, they were walking with the Lord. And so it was the height of, of Israel's history at that time. But Solomon, something happened towards the end of his reign. He would take those foreign wives, and he began to burn incense to those foreign gods. And, and the Lord would come to Solomon, and uh, Solomon, in that rebuke that he received from the Lord, uh, Solomon, the nation is going to split. And, and Solomon, that, that we are going to, because the Lord said, because of my promise to David, that, that David's throne is going to be established. Because you recall in 2 Samuel chapter 7, that it was David that wanted to build the temple. The Lord said, David, you're not going to build the temple because you're a man of war, but your son, who is a man of peace, is going to build the temple. And that's what Solomon did. But David, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to establish your throne. And from your throne is going to come the Messiah. And of course, David was overwhelmed. He worshiped the Lord. And you can read that in those, those beautiful passages that, as David is just sharing his heart. And he was, you know, David, I think, is one of the most articulate men uh, that we have in the scripture. So the promise came to David that through your line is going to come the Messiah. And that's why when you go to the Gospels, it, you see that the people would cry out to Jesus, Son of David, Son of David. It was a messianic term that they were using because they knew that the Messiah was going to come from the royal line of David and be a son, a descendant of David. So as we move into chapter 11 here of 2 Kings, of course, after the reign of Solomon would come his son Rehoboam. And the people came to Rehoboam and said, Rehoboam, can you ease up on the taxes? It's too much of a burden on us. And Rehoboam said, no, I'm not going to do that. So the ten northern tribes would split away from the house of Judah. And Judah, along with them, was the tribe of Benjamin. So the ten northern tribes making up the nation of Israel, the two southern tribes making up the nation of Judah or the house of Judah. And as we've gone through looking at the, the kings of Israel, the kings of Judah, uh, we've looked at uh, their reigns. We have looked at the history here. And at this time, we have seen that what has happened, that the house of Israel, all the kings were idol worshipers. Uh, this uh, succession of kings that were evil kings. And Ahab and Jezebel, as we finish First Kings, that book, they were ruling during that time. 
It was Jezebel that killed the sons of the prophet. He tried to kill Elijah the prophet, and she was a very evil individual. And judgment would be pronounced to them by Elijah, you recall, as Elijah said to Ahab, Ahab, what's going to happen is you're going to die in battle. That would happen at the last chapter of 1 Kings, as we read in his battle against Syria. Second of all, Jezebel, she's going to die a violent death. We saw that uh, in chapter 9 of 2 Kings. And then also, your house, Ahab, is going to be cut off. You're going to receive the judgment of God, and your descendants are going to be killed. So what we saw was that Jehu was anointed to the king of Israel. Elijah, who has taken the, the mantle of the uh, prophetic office and ministry from Elijah, he's ministering mostly to the house of Israel. He would send one of his prophets to go and to anoint Jehu as uh, the new king of Israel. And Jehu, he goes up to Jezreel, and he kills the king of Israel. And also, you recall that Ahaziah, who is the king of Judah, he was killed as well because he was up visiting his uncle. And as we read now in chapter 11 of 2 Kings, we read, When Ataliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs. So here is Jehu, who was the king of Israel, the ten northern tribes. And again, as we talk about the different kings, you've got to keep your thinking caps on, because sometimes we'll make reference to the kings of Israel, and then sometimes we're making reference to the kings of Judah. As we enter into chapter 11, what we see here is a reference to the king of Judah. He was up visiting his uncle. He was killed by Jehu as well. So Jehu, even though now he has established himself as the king of Israel, as we saw last week in chapter 10, right? He kills the descendants of Ahab. He even killed many of the brothers of Ahaziah. And he is one that is ruling, but he didn't wholly give himself to the Lord. Even though he was used of the Lord to bring this judgment upon Ahab's house, he wasn't one that fully followed the Lord because he was still involved in the sins of Jeroboam. What were the sins of Jeroboam? Jeroboam was the first king of Israel, and he would build the temples uh, that were in Bethel and also in Dan dedicated to the golden calf. So he was involved in idol worship. And that's what Jehu did. Even though he tried to get the people to see that he had zeal for the Lord and look at me, I'm, I'm the servant of the Lord, he had compromised in his life. So the Lord came along and said to Jehu, Jehu, that you are going to, your descendants sit on the throne of Israel for four generations. And in a few chapters, what we will see is the fourth generation will come and sit on the throne of Israel, the ten northern tribes, his name is Zechariah, not Zechariah, the prophet that we think of that wrote the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament that would come much later, but Zechariah, who would be a descendant of Jehu, he will be the last one of the descendants of Jehu that sits on the throne. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because, as we have seen, in the house of Israel, it, it's been a mess. There's all these assassinations that are taking place. And at this time, I think there's like seven families that have had dynasties or sitting on the throne of Israel. Now, in Judah, it is different, isn't it? In Judah, the promise was given to David that, David, I'm going to establish your throne, and through your throne, through your descendants, is going to come the Messiah. So here is this one, uh, Ataliah. Who was Ataliah? She was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, who was the king up north. And just as Jezebel was a very, very wicked individual who killed godly people, uh, killed the sons of the prophet, here is Ataliah that she's trying to destroy the heirs of Ahaziah. That is, she's trying to do away with the descendants of David so she can take over. So she is being used by the enemy Satan. And here's the thing, it's, as we look at this, as we began to, to discuss last week, as we ended our study, it's more than just a geopolitical situation that's happening here that she's trying to get rid of you know, the descendants of Ahaziah, but Satan is using her to try to keep the Messiah from coming. Because, hey, as he was told Satan in Genesis chapter 3, that serpent... That through the woman, the seed's going to come, speaking of Messiah. And you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head, serpent. 
And the serpent, Satan, not wanting to get his head crushed, he's done all that he can to try to keep the Messiah from coming. And so here, knowing that, that the Messiah, is, it is promised that he's going to come through the line of David, here is this woman who is being used by the enemy, Satan, who is very evil, who is a very wicked individual that is trying to do away with the line of David, being used by Satan to do that. But here's the thing, God's got a plan. And I want to encourage you tonight. That maybe you're here and you're thinking that the situation that you're facing, you've read God's promises and you think, Lord, how is this going to work for me? How can your promise be applied in my life? Lord, it seems like that this thing is dead. It seems like that this is disappearing, that nothing can, can happen, that you can't work. But God will bring those promises that he gives to you and to me through his word. He will bring them to pass. And here God has a plan. He has a plan for you. And he had a plan at this time. And we read what that plan was as we read in verse 2. And uh, Jael Sheba, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. And they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Atali so that he was not killed. In verse 3, so he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord for six years while Ataliah reigned over the land. So God had a plan. Here's a woman, the sister of Ahaziah, who took one of the sons of Ahaziah and hid him away in the house of the Lord. He's only one years old, and he is hid for six years. Matter of fact, Josephus, the Jewish historian, would make a reference to this, that Joash was one that he was hid in a room where there was a lot of old furniture and, and some old beds and, and mats and things like that. So he's hid away. He's not seen. And here is Ataliah. She's killing off the descendants of Ahaziah. She's killing off the descendants of David. And she doesn't realize that this one-year-old is being hid in the house of the Lord. And here is um, this sister of Ahaziah. It, it is told to us in Second Chronicles chapter 22 that she is the wife, Jael Sheba, the wife of Jehoiada that we're going to be introduced to here in just uh, the next verse, that Jehoiada is the high priest. He's the one um, that is hitting, um, or hiding um, this young boy, the son of Ahaziah, away from Ataliah. He's in the house of the Lord where there's safety and where there's security where there's blessing and where there's benefit. And I want to remind us once again, just as we talked about on Sunday, that when we come to the house of the Lord, there's safety and there's security, isn't there? There's blessing and there's benefit in being hid in the house of the Lord. And I hope and I pray that, that you really sense it when you're here, that you sense the presence of the Lord and the love of the Lord as you're here, that this is a place where you're going to grow in the word of God and be encouraged and be edified and uplifted. Oh, that's more than anything. I, I pray that takes place here at Calvary Chapel. Being hid in the house of the Lord, this is a good place for you to be. And that's where he was. And so he's hid away during this time. And God is using an ordinary individual, you know, the sister of Ahaziah, to do a marvelous work and a marvelous being a part of God's plan here. And he wants to use you as well. Do you realize that? For you to bring people to the house of the Lord. For you to be able to be a witness to others, to say, hey, come and see what the Lord is doing and hear the words of the Lord and be blessed by the Lord as they come to this house of the Lord. The, the Lord desires to use ordinary people like you and me in, in blessing others and, and being an encouragement to them and introducing them to the truth of God's word and to the gospel message. Or maybe individuals that have been away from you know, being encouraged in God's word to bring them here and be blessed. So God wants to use you as well. So in verse 4, we see in the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of hundreds of the bodyguards and the escorts and brought them into the house of the Lord to him. And he made a covenant with them and he took an oath uh, from them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. And then he commanded them saying, this is what you shall do. One third of you who come on duty on the Sabbath shall be keeping watch over the king's house. In verse 6, one-third shall be at the gate of Sir, and one-third at the gate behind the escorts. You shall keep the watch of the house, lest it be broken down. And the two contingents of you who go off duty on the Sabbath shall keep the watch of the house of the Lord for the king. 
But you shall surround the king on all sides, every man in his weapons, in his hand, and whoever comes within range, let him be put to death. But you are to be with the king as he goes out and as he comes in. And verse 9 tells us, So the captains in the hundreds did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. Each of them took his men who were to be on duty on the Sabbath, and those who were going off duty on the Sabbath, and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave the captains of hundreds the spears and the shields which had belonged to King David that were in the temple of the Lord. And then the escorts stood, and every man in his weapon in his right hand all around the king, from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple, by the altar and the house. And so we see here that the, Joash is going to be crowned king of Judah. He's seven years old. Jehoiada, they've been able to keep this a secret, that here is a descendant of David that has been hid in the house of the Lord. And he calls the, the leaders of Judah together. He calls those who were part of the temple um, guards. And he says, I've got news for you, but you've got to keep it quiet. You've got to make a covenant with me. And we have a descendant of David, of Ahaziah. He's the rightful king to sit on the throne of Judah. And we're going to see full support here as he's going to be established as king. And it, it just shows that the people were wary of Ataliah and, and her reign. And this is what we're going to do, is that um, there is going to be protection that's going to be given. And what is going to happen is that it's going to happen on a Sabbath, and that's the reason that they did it on the Sabbath was because that's when they changed the guards. So there isn't just one set of guards. There's going to be two groups of guards at the temple, and we're going to establish the throne of David once again, and we're going to use the weapons of David. So here Joash, he needs that protection. He's only seven years old, and he's going to be established as the king as this plan is going to be carried out in verse 12. And he brought out the king's son, put the crown on him, and gave him the testimony. They made him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king. So he's brought out. He has all this you know, guards around him, uh, the shields and the, and the swords that David had used. Uh, David, of course, was a great warrior, and they established him as the king, the seven-year-old kid. That's a lot of pressure to put on a seven-year-old kid to be the king of Judah. But he is the heir, the rightful heir, uh, to sit on the throne of David. And now he's being established here as he does that. But I want to draw attention to verse 12. It says that Jehoiada, and Jehoiada is this godly priest. And he has kept it quiet. Uh, his wife uh, helped uh, hide away Joash for six years. This, this young boy is in the temple, in the house of the Lord. And all of a sudden, he's being brought out at seven years old. He's established as the king. And they say, long live the king. But they give him the testimony. What was the testimony? It was the word of God. And you can look at Deuteronomy, some of you might know, as it was in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 17, verse 18, I believe, that the Lord told the children of Israel, when you go into the promised land, he knew that they would ask eventually for a king, even though it'd be almost 500 years later. But when you go into the promised land and when you ask for a king, there were certain guidelines that the Lord gave to them. We already talked about some of those that you recall that it was told that the king shall not multiply wives and gold and, and horses. And that's what Solomon did. He multiplied wives, gold, and horses. Even though Solomon was a man that was known for godly wisdom, he violated God's word. And it had a negative effect on his spiritual life. Because those wives that he married, many of them would worship foreign gods, and it was Solomon that would then be seduced into worshiping and burning incense to false gods. And idolatry and false worship then come, came into the nation at that time. But also in that chapter, as you read verse 18 of Deuteronomy chapter 17, what the king is supposed to do is he's supposed to be given a copy of the testimony, or that is the book of the law, and he is to read it so that he may fear the Lord, and he is also to write it down. That's what the king was supposed to do. And that's what Jehoiada is making sure that that king here, even though this boy is seven years old, he's got a copy of the testimony, and then I'm sure that Jehoiada is saying, you need to copy it down, you need to write it down as well. And again, it, it tells us the importance of if you desire to be a leader in your home, dads, or you desire to be a leader in ministry, 
Just being a, a man of God or a woman of God is so important that you continue in the Word of God. And not only are you doing that, but I think it's a very good practice to be writing down verses, to write down scripture, because there's something about that goes with your mind when you write something down. I don't know about you, but I think that, that for me, I know for me, because sometimes people, um, other guys, you know, some of the other pastors, we get talking and, and they get to, you know, typing out all their notes and there's nothing wrong with that. I'll type out some notes, but a lot of notes I handwrite. And the reason that I do that is I'll write out the verses so I can remember them. There's just something about, for me, and I think for a lot of you, probably feel the same way, when you write something down, you remember it a little bit better. And for me, it's that way. And so I'll write down the verses that I'm going to cover. I'll, I'll write down the text oftentimes. I'll write down verses, you know, uh, so I can remember them. And that's what the king was supposed to do at this time. So he is brought out and he is established at this time as the king. And so um, we see uh, that uh, it would be uh, revival that would come. It, it reminds me a lot what happened to Josiah. We will see Josiah later on. Um, Josiah was the last of the good kings of Judah right before they would go into captivity by the Babylonians. And because Manasseh was the king before him, Manasseh had plunged the house of Judah deep, 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 deep into idol worship. And matter of fact, they've done excavations in Jerusalem where they have found just, just piles of these idols that would date back to the time of Manasseh. And Manasseh had plunged the, the house of Judah to where there wasn't any copies of the book of the law at all. So when Josiah, what happens, what we're going to see here is, is uh, that Joash, he's going to clean the temple up. He's going to make repairs. Well, after the reign of Manasseh, Josiah wants to do the same thing. They're cleaning up the temple from all this, you know, trash and the, the idols that were there. And in the corner somewhere, they find the book of the law. And what happens is, is the priest brings it to Josiah and he blows it off, you know, the dust. And they say, what is this? This is the book of the law. There wasn't even a Bible found anywhere in the nation of Judah. That's amazing. Can you imagine if there wasn't a Bible in Greeley? And it'd be like we found one, you know, over here in the corner and we started reading it. And Josiah did. And it cut him to the heart. He began to read it. And, and then revival would come and reforms would come. And we're going to see that there's going to be sort of a revival that comes. But I'll tell you the truth on this, that as you read the Word of God and as you write down the Word of God, revival is going to come to your heart. Because the Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, as Hebrews tells us. And it will pierce your heart and speak to your heart and it will feed your soul. So that's what he's doing here. So now we see the death of Ataliah, verse 13. Now when Ataliah heard the noise of the escorts and the people, she came to the people in the temple of the Lord. And when she looked, there was the king standing by a pillar according to custom. And the leaders of the trumpeters were by the king. And all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. So Ataliah tore her clothes and cried out, treason, treason. And so she knows as she comes out, she sees... That, that Joash has been established as the, as the king. Uh, again, you can sense that the people are very weary of her because she cries out treason, treason, and what we're going to see is that they're going to grab her and they're going to execute her. But here is, I want to draw attention again, the king standing by a pillar according to the custom. What does that mean? What pillar? Do you remember when Solomon, we were looking at how he built the temple, that in the front of the temple there were two pillars and it was custom when the king was anointed that he would stand there at the pillar. It wasn't in the temple. Only the priests were allowed to go into the temple. But it was outside of the temple. And those two pillars that were there, one was called Jachin, which means he shall establish. The other was called Boaz, which means in him is strength. So here is the king that this seven-year-old boy, that he's there. He's being anointed as king. He's being hailed as king. And he's standing at the pillar and know this that as you do what God calls you to do, that he shall establish you and he is your strength. And that is something that I know that I need to remember all the time. Because there are times where I feel weak as I'm serving the Lord. There are times where I feel like, Lord, am I really established? Sometimes I can get anxious. And I begin to wonder. And sometimes it happens 
especially when we come to an end of a year, we begin another year. I think, Lord, please give me the strength for another year of ministry. Lord, please, please establish, you know, make sure that I'm established, in, Lord, in you. Because sometimes I feel like the whole thing will fall apart, and it will if I'm not established in him. But brings, what brings me comfort is, Lord, that I know as I just look to you and I continue to be submitted to you, that I know it's Jacob and it's Boaz. In other words, that you're going to be the one that's going to establish me and you're the one that's going to bring me the strength that I need. And it's the same with you. Whether it's being the mom that God has called you to be or the dad, whether it's being the, the one that runs, as you run your business, desiring to, to please God as you run your business in a godly way and ministering to the people that, that work with you and for you. Whether it's you're discipling people, whether it's ministry in any sort, he's the one that as you just keep surrender to him and a total dependency on him, that he's going to establish you and he's going to give you the strength to do what he's called you to do. So here it is, she's crying out treason, treason, and Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains of the hundreds and officers of the army and said to them, take her outside under guard and, and slay with the sword uh, whoever follows her. For the priest had said, do not let her be killed in the house of the Lord. So they seized her and she went by the way of the horse's entrance into the king's house and there she was killed. Verse 17, Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they should be the Lord's people and also between the king and the people. So Jehoiada, he, he's really the one that is the one that is leading the nation spiritually at this time. And you can understand that because here's Joash, he's only seven years old. So he, he makes this covenant with the people. Hey, we're going to worship the Lord. In verse 18, all the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and tore it down and thoroughly broke in pieces its altars and images and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priests appointed officers over the house of the Lord. And then he took the captains of hundreds and the bodyguards and escorts and all the people of the land, and they brought uh, the king down from the house of the Lord and went by way of the gate of the escorts to the king's house. And then he sat on the throne of the kings. And so all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet, for they had slain Ataliah with the sword in the king's house. And Jehoash, or Joash, a variant of spelling, uh, is all it is of, of the same name. But Jehoash was seven years old when he became king. So they do away with Baal worship. You remember Jehu, in the last chapter, he did away with Baal worship up north in the house of Israel. And Ataliah, she was very much a Baal worshiper, and that shouldn't surprise us because she was the daughter of who? Of Ahab and Jezebel, who were huge Baal worshipers. They built Samaria. They built a huge temple dedicated to Baal there in, in Samaria. And Jehu comes along, destroys that temple, as we saw in chapter 10. Now Baal worship is put away down south in the house of Judah. But Baal worship will come back, as we will see. So they do away with all the priests. And Jehoash, seven years old when he becomes king, and chapter 12, in the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebiah of Beersheba. What we see here is Jehoash, again, is established, and, um, and it gives a little bit of his mother's name. Jehoash, verse 2, did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. But the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places. A couple of things that are very important in these few verses here. As he is established as the king, seven years old. But one of the things that we see here is, first of all, that as you read about him, and particularly when you go to the book of Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 24, when we go through First and Second Chronicles, and it, it begins with David and his reign, and goes through all the kings of Judah, it only speaks of the kings of Judah. But what Second Chronicles does is it gives us a little bit more insight to their spiritual life is what it does, and it gives us more details. And what we know that in 2 Chronicles chapter 24, it tells us, and this chapter here is going to give us a little bit of indication of that, but we can see that, that Jehoash, he was one that he did what was right in, 
in the, uh, in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him, verse 2. Second Chronicles chapter 24 tells us that after the death of Jehoiada, that what happened is Jehoash, he went astray. He would compromise, as we're going to see that he will do that in this chapter when we finish it. He would also listen to the leaders of Judah who were idol worshipers, and he did not trust in the Lord in his time of trouble. So as long as he had Jehoiada, the priest around, he did good. Jehoiada was a great spiritual leader. He was a great mentor. He was a tremendous blessing to Jehoash. But here's the thing, and this is important. The Jehoash, his faith was shallow. And a very important principle is this. It is great to have mentors. It is great to have disciples, you know, that will come along and build you up. And, and discipleship, mentoring, whatever you want to call it, is very much an important part of the body of Christ. I believe that. And I want that to take place even more and more here at Calvary Chapel. We've seen more people this year that have, you know, come to Christ here at Calvary Chapel in our services and made, you know, professions of faith and commitments to Christ, you know, in our services. But it doesn't stop there. We want to grow them. We want to mature them in the Word of God. We want to disciple them. So we got a discipleship program, and, and we got men that were discipling and couples that are being discipled and going through a discipleship book. And I want to see more of that happening as, as you are discipled and grown um, in the Word of God and in the ways of the Lord and encouraged. That's what I pray takes place, and even more so. But here's the thing. Eventually, you've got to make it your own faith when you come to Christ and in your walk with the Lord. I've talked to those who said, well, I, I talked to my mentor, and, and I'll talk to him again. Well, I talked to my mentor, and, and a good mentor, what they're going to do is they're going to just kind of steer you closer and closer to Jesus Christ and to the Word of God and making you stronger. And again, there's safety and, and blessing in having a godly man to, to minister to the more immature or younger men. For the older women, the scripture says that we're to counsel the younger women. Uh, that's what they are to do. But eventually to lead them to where they are depending solely on Jesus Christ and being strong in their walk in Jesus Christ. So when they grow, they can then come along and they can disciple others. But eventually you've got to make it your own and be strong. You can't just depend on somebody else to carry you through. You need to depend on the Lord. And that was the, the shortcoming here of Jehoash. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. But then he stopped being instructed. And his faith was weak. And then he began to open up his heart to compromise and to idol worshipers and um, not doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. The other thing that I see here is in verse 3. Again, we've talked about this a little bit, but I think it's reminding, worth reminding you of this as we read it once again. In the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrifice and burn incense on the high places. Well, we're the high places. You remember again when the Lord told the children of Israel, when you go into the promised land, make sure that you do away with those places of worship, the Canaanite places of worship, the high places, the wooden groves, that the Canaanites set up and there was all kinds of false worship and, and depravity and immorality that took place uh, there in the high places. The Lord said, I don't want you just worshiping anywhere and doing sacrifices anywhere. I am going to appoint a place where that is going to be done. And Jerusalem is that place. The temples where the sacrifices were to be done at the temple in Jerusalem at this time. The temple has been around for about 120 years, but what happened was there is this tendency, and we've seen it, that the kings of Judah, even though some of them were good, they would leave those places, those high places there, and the people were tempted to go back to them. It was a place of compromise, a place of temptation. They were fond of those places for some reason, and they would go there and sacrifice where they weren't supposed to. Now here was the problem. What happened was, when an evil king came along, they would go right back to those places and set them up for idol worship. This is what I want to make application uh, for us here tonight, is make sure there's no high places in your life. 
places of temptation or compromise in your heart. That there, there are things that, oh, this is a high place. This is a place that it shouldn't be. And the temptation is there. And the compromise can come. Oh, maybe coming through the channels on the cable TV or perhaps the DVDs or whatever you have or maybe going downstairs and pulling up things on the computer. Maybe it's the old hangouts. Maybe it's the old relationships that you know are not good and godly. It was Jesus that said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, then pluck it out. Now, Jesus was not talking about bodily mutilation, all right? But he was talking about if there is sin in your life, if there's any high places, then deal with it radically. And if there are things in your home or temptation where if I go to this place, you know, where the old friends are and the old hangout, it's not a good thing. Or the old habits will come back. Or an old relationship that you know is not a godly relationship. Make sure that you don't have those high places, all right? Those places of compromise and temptation. Are you with me on this? Deal with it radically, all right? And that's what Jesus was saying. If there is sin, deal with it. And I believe that we as Christians, we need to come to that point of, Lord, this is not good, this is sin, this causes compromise. I can't have this in my home. I can't have this you know, relationship. I can't be hanging out at this place because it's a high place for me. And it ended up becoming a problem, as we're going to see as we continue in 2 Kings. In verse, three, or verse 4, then Jehoash said to the priest, All the money of the dedicated gifts that are brought to the house of the Lord, each man's census money, each man's assessment money, and all the money that a man's purpose in his heart to bring to the house of the Lord. So we see that Jehoash, he's going to want to repair the house of the Lord. Um, he's going to want to uh, do the repairs that need to be done. Um, and he was in the house of the Lord till he was seven. Perhaps he thought, this place is falling apart. It's 120 years old. We need to fix some of these things. So what he does is uh, he wants the priest to take the money. There is, first of all, mentioned here in verse 4, there's a census um, offering that was a half a shekel, according to Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, that each man would pay every year in in Judah, and then also Leviticus chapter 27 verse 2 was the assessment money that was kind of a property tax. And now in verse 4 we see that any in all of the money that a man purposed in his heart to bring to the house of the Lord, also that is to be used for the repairs above the required giving. Verse 5, let the priests take it themselves, each from his constituency, and let them repair the damages of the temple wherever any dilapidation is found. Now, it was so by the 23rd year of King Jehoash that the priests had not repaired the damages of the temple. And verse 7 tells us, King Jehoash called Jehoiada the priest and the other priests and said to them, Why have you not repaired the damages of the temple? Now therefore do not take more money from your constituency, but deliver it for repairing the damages of the temple. Here's the thing. For 23 years, the money was given, the money was collected, but it wasn't used for the repairs of the temple. And the priests were probably using the money for themselves. And it is sad when there are leaders in ministry and leaders in churches that take advantage of the giving of the people. And why it took 23 years for finally some, you know, the king, Jehoash, to say to Jehoiada, who that we see as a godly king, saying, why isn't this being done? Was it forgotten? Was it just ignored? Was it not a priority for the priests? They had the responsibility given to them to make sure that these repairs were being done and they weren't doing it, so there's going to be a different plan. Verse 8, and the priests agreed that they would neither receive more money from the people nor repair the damages of the temple. So notice that they, we won't take the money, we won't be responsible for the repairs. They admitted that they were not doing what they were supposed to do. In verse 9, And then Jehoiada the priest took a chest, bored a hole in his lid, and set it beside the altar on the right side as one comes into the house of the Lord. And the priest who kept the door put uh, there all the money. 
brought into the house of the Lord. And so it was whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest, the king's scribe and the high priest came up and put it in bags and counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. So here you have the first offering box. They have a box and they drill a hole in it and people would put the money in and then they collected and counted it. And that's what we do here at Calvary Chapel. I want you to be able to give freely and that's why we do that. And that's why we have the offering boxes. It's kind of interesting that the people that are new to Calvary Chapel oftentimes will come to me and say, how do you give to this church? And I'll say, well, there's a box over there that you can give. And then it is counted every week. We continue here and we see this, this principle uh, that is given here. And then when they give the money which was appointed into the hands of those who did the work, who had the oversight of the house of the Lord, they paid it out to the carpenters and builders who worked on the house of the Lord and to masons and stone cutters and for buying timber and hewn stone and repair the damage of the house of the Lord for all that was paid out to repair the temple. However, there was not made for the house of the Lord basins, silver, trimmers, sprinkling bowls and trumpets and any articles of gold, articles of silver from the money brought into the house of the Lord. But they gave it to the workmen and they repaired the house of the Lord with it. And moreover, they did not require an account from the men of whose hand they delivered the money to be paid to workmen for they dealt faithfully and in verse 16 the money from the trespass offerings and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of the lord it belonged to the priest in other words hey you guys you're not doing the repairs so the money would go directly to the the carpenters and stone workers who were repairing the temple verse 15 says that they dealt faithfully in other words they were faithful in using that money and being a good steward of that money and i think it's kind of a sad commentary on the priest the ones who were not faithful to it. And it is sad today, as I mentioned to you, when there are ministry leaders that are not good stewards of the money that is God's money to be used for ministry or even in ministry and upkeeping the facilities and things like that. Here's the thing with us, you know, a building, there is to be upkeep. In this building, we are to, to plan and, and as best as we can to upkeep this facility. Um, it's not a huge facility, but um, we try to plan as best as we can. And the handling of the money, I wanna make sure, is done with great integrity and great accountability. And it isn't just where we stuff money in a box and we count it and put it into the bank, all right? There's a lot more to it. There's an accounting system that is there. There is checks and balances. There's reviews and audits that we voluntarily have the church to go through with a very, very good and, and very good uh, uh, accounting firm that, that works with churches. And they, they have uh, worked with churches, some of the Calvary chapels that are thousands and thousands of members. And what they do is they come in and they go over our books with us and they make sure that what we're saying is, is, is accurate and true and that we're keeping in line with all the accounting laws because I am not an accountant but I'm still responsible in the board for the finances here at Calvary Chapel Greeley. And then we have a board member that goes over the books along with, with the you know, administrator that's in the office that is writing checks and we you know, check everything and then I go over it as well. And there's these checks and balances because we wanna do everything with great accountability and great integrity. That's important to me. And that's why we do it that way. But also in planning and taking care of the building. This year, I don't know if a lot of you realize that we put in new heating and air conditioning units and we planned for that. We knew that eventually they're going to go out. They're over 30 years old and they did go out. The one upstairs for the youth room and the upstairs offices was running at half capacity for a couple of years and finally it died on us. And then this one died on us. And, and the others eventually did. It just, they all kind of conked out this year. We spent $50,000 on putting in new heating and air conditioning units in this facility. But we had planned for that and put the money away for that, for the repairs to be done. So it wasn't a burden on the church. It wasn't a burden in fixing up this facility. And there's other things that we need to do as well to fix it up. So being a good steward of what God has given to us and planning the best that we can and here were these workers that they were doing that very faithfully. And, and we just pray for your wisdom that we do it faithfully here, um, that we want to be able to. That's the thing about, you know, buildings, that you have to maintain them. 
And, and whenever we start thinking about, you know, it'd be nice to have a big building, well, it, you know, big buildings cost money, and then they also cost money to, to maintain them. And I think that's where some ministries have gotten themselves into trouble, that they have big visions of big buildings, but you've got to maintain those big buildings as well. So it takes, I think, real discernment and planning and wisdom and, and wise decisions on the finances when it comes to a facility. And by the way, just in case you're wondering, this building is paid for. We paid this building off. We're a debt-free church. And so I don't want the finances to be a burden on the people. We want to be a good steward of it. And we want to, again, handle everything with great integrity and honesty and being a good stewards because it's God's money. It is his money, and make sure it's all accounted for every single penny. And that's what we do. So here is this mishandling you know, of money, but the faithfulness of the, of the, the carpenters to do the work, and it would be the trespass and sin offerings that was given to the house of the Lord that, is, that belonged to the priests. And then as we finish very quickly, Hazael, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. And Hazael set his face to go up to Jerusalem. And Jehoash, king of Judah, took all the sacred things that his fathers Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, king of Judah, had dedicated in his own sacred things and all the, the uh, gold found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and in the king's house and sent them to Hazael, king of Syria, and he went away from Jerusalem. Remember Hazael? We haven't talked about him for a little bit. Remember, he was the servant of the king of Syria. And in chapter 8, they go get Elijah, and the king of Syria was sick. He, he had some sickness, and so they go and get Elijah to see the king of Syria. And, hey, is the king of Syria, is he going to live or is he going to die? And Elijah says, you tell him that he's going to live, but he's also going to die. <laughs> and it sounds like double talk, but Elijah the word of the Lord would be fulfilled literally because what happened was is that the king would recover from his sickness, but Hazael, he would kill the king. And Elijah would also say in Hazael, what's going to happen is you're going to do very evil and wicked things to the people of Israel. And his, you recall that Hazael said, what am I, a dog that I would do these things, that I would kill you know, pregnant women and, and, and all of this? And it just, as we discussed that, the depravity of man. This is this Hazael. He's, he's coming into Israel. He's coming into Judah. He wants to go up against Jerusalem. So what does this king Joash do? What he does is, Jehoiada is dead. What he does is he takes the gold out of the house of the Lord and he pays him off, this evil king. It's a lot what Asa did. You remember Asa in 1 Kings chapter 15? He was a good king. And when he first ruled that this million-man Ethiopian army came against Judah, and he prayed to the Lord, and he said, Lord, how can we stand against this million-man army of Ethiopia? He trusted the Lord, and the Lord brought victory to Asa in the house of Judah. And he ruled for 35 years. And then at the end of his reign, there was Israel that was coming down and, and ready to attack Judah. And so what does he do? He takes the gold out of the temple, the gold at that time, and he sends it to the king of Syria, who was an evil man, and he says, will you attack Israel to the north and get them off my backs? And it was a brilliant plan, but then the prophet came to him and said, Asa, why didn't you trust in the Lord? He delivered you from a much larger army, the Ethiopians, and, and yet you did not call on the Lord at this time. Don't you know that he would have worked? You did foolishly in doing this. Even though his plan worked, and same with Jehoash, his plan worked. Hey, I'll take some of the gold and, and pay off the king of Syria, and he won't attack me. But he compromised, and he made a peace treaty with the enemy. And he took that which is dedicated to the things of God, and he paid off the enemy, and he didn't trust in the Lord to call out to the Lord. And as you finish the chapter or next few verses, he ended up being killed by his own people. Listen, you may find yourself where the enemy is coming against you, but don't make a peace treaty with him. And you trust in the Lord. And you remember what Asa was told by that prophet who came and rebuked him? He said, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro across the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal towards him, towards the Lord. And if you're facing an attack of the enemy, or he's beginning to surround you in a way that you feel the pressure, don't make 
a peace treaty with the enemy because he's still going to come against you. And don't compromise. And you call in the name of the Lord and you stay loyal to the Lord because he promises in his word. His eyes go to and fro across the whole earth. In other words, he sees you here tonight and he desires to show himself strong on your behalf as you stay loyal to him. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for these two chapters here and as we go through them. And again, more than a history lesson, but, Lord, so much to be gained and learned and gleaned from as we look at these chapters. And, Lord, I thank you for tonight and for the Bible study and for all those who have come out. And, Lord, I thank you for the kids who are putting trays together for um, those at the sheriff's office as we take them down. Just bless them for their work, which your word says that is a good work and an honorable work before you. And so, Lord, we just remember them. We pray, Lord, for those who wear the badge and the shield that you protect them, those in Weld County, the first responders, who go out and put their lives on the line every single day for our safety and for our good. So we thank you for the opportunity to be able to just bless them and the kids to be able to write cards and say thank you. Lord, I do pray tonight, if there is anyone here tonight that if you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ, that Jesus is your salvation. There is an enemy out there that he is called the prince of the power of the air. He's called the God, little g of this world, that's Satan. And he brings blindness to the world. But there is Jesus Christ who came to take away sin and to give you hope if you've never surrendered to him. And the gospel is this, that you are to recognize that you are a sinner. And second of all, to realize you can't save yourself. And then the scripture says to repent, that is quit going the direction you're going and turn to Jesus Christ. He's the one that can save you. He loves you. And he went to a cross on a hill called Calvary and died for every one of your sins. He's the only one that died for your sins. Jesus, the Son of God who lived a perfect life, the Lamb of God, died for you and took your sins upon himself. And then he cried out from the cross, it is finished. In other words, the work is done. I've, I've paid the price. I've shed my blood for forgiveness of sin. He was put into a tomb and then he rose again three days later and he's alive. And the scripture says that if you believe in your heart the Lord Jesus and, and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That as you come in faith and trusting in him and who he is, the Son of God, and what he did for you in dying on Calvary's cross, and as you open up your heart with a heartfelt belief, and receive him as your Lord and Savior. He has saved you, but also he is the Lord of your life. That the promise of salvation comes. And we want to give you an opportunity. If that means anything to anyone here tonight in the sanctuary or out in a coffee shop, you can pray right where you're sitting, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God who died for me. And I confess that I am a sinner, and I now turn to you and I ask that you would forgive me. Thank you for dying on Calvary's cross for me. And Jesus, be my personal Lord and Savior. And I believe that you are alive because you're knocking on the door of my heart. And I now open my heart to you. And thank you for dying for me and hearing my prayer and bringing me here tonight. Thank you for your love for me. In Jesus' name, 